Amen. Well, good morning. Good to see you this morning, South City. Thanks for being here. My name is Drew Klein. If you're new to us, I'm one of the pastors here. And uh, I'm excited. I guess I'm a little some mixed feelings because I'm excited to finish the book of Ephesians today and kind of sad to finish the book of Ephesians. It's been so rich and so good uh, for me personally and I think for us as a church. Uh, Paul has taught this community that he loves so very much what it means to walk in Christ, to, to live, to be in Christ, what it means to be a believer, follower of Jesus, what it means uh, to walk this life, the, the, the things that our lives should look like, the things that, are, that shouldn't be a part of our lives. And also, even last week we talked about what it means to make a stand against the evil one, against the enemy that we have, Satan, in God's strength and in God's armor and in God's presence. We talked about that last week. Um, but one of the things I think was so interesting about Paul and, and the text from last week is at the end of the text in chapter 6, Paul does something interesting. He asks for prayer. Remember that? Here this amazing missionary, amazing uh, preacher, amazing pastor, elder, leader, uh, theologian. And he, he's given us these incredible prayers in Ephesians 1, Ephesians 3, some of the most beautiful prayers in the New Testament. For the church. And yet at the end of the letter he says, hey, pray for me. And it just reminds us that no matter who you are or how far along you think you may be or whatever the case may be, we all need prayer, don't we? We all need God's help. We all need each other's prayer. And so that's what Paul does. He asks for prayer for himself, for the words that he says uh, to lead people to Christ, for the right words. But he also asks for the boldness to say them. And so uh, it's just been such a good, good letter. This morning we're wrapping up our final message in this letter. And we're going to get kind of a peek into the relationships that are closest in Paul's life. This morning if you have your Bible, turn over with me to Ephesians chapter 6. We're going to start at uh, verse 21 and finish up the letter. It says, so that you uh, also may know how I am and what I am doing, Tychicus, the, the beloved brother and faithful minister in the Lord, will tell you everything. I've sent him uh, to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are and that he may encourage your hearts. Peace be to the brothers and love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, grace be with all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with love incorruptible. May God bless the reading and study of his word. Can we pray together? Father, thank you for Ephesians. Thank you for the Apostle Paul. God, thank you for this really unbelievable letter of what it means to follow you, what it means to be connected uh, to one another, uh, that we are one, we are a new humanity, a new society. God, thank you for this reality of what it means to be the church as this new society. What it means to be uh, in our homes as husbands and wives and children and, and people who work and have employees. and just, just so many great lessons that we've learned today. God, my heart and my prayer is that we would, we would uh, take everything we can from this text today. And I believe there's a lot here. I believe this shows Paul's close close connections, and I pray, God, that we would consider the connections in our lives, and may we learn from how Paul is modeling what it means to have 
close relationships in his life. So Lord, we give you this and pray that you would lead us to all truth by your Holy Spirit, that I would decrease in this time and you would increase, we pray in Jesus' precious name. Be with us today. Give us courage to obey, God, whatever it is you call us to, you lead us to, and we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, just a recap here. Who's Paul talking to in the book of Ephesians as we finish it up? Is he talking to the big church down the street with the big steeple? No. Didn't exist in Ephesus. He's talking to a, a, a believers all around the city of Ephesus. Small groups of house churches. Small groups of people who gather together as the body of Christ. And this was what was called a circular letter. So Paul would send this letter. He's going to send it through Tychicus most likely, and I'll tell you that in a minute. But when he gets there, they're going to read the letter. And then hopefully they're going to make copies of the letter. And then they're going to pass the letter on to the house church down the street. And that's a circular letter. And it's just going to go from church to church to church until everybody's read it and understand it, understands it. And by God's grace, we have a copy of it because of those copies that they made. And so this is who he's reaching out to. I think it's important for us to remember, again, Ephesus is the place that he established and it's the place that he stayed longest on his missionary journeys. He was there three years. He really went deep in his teaching. Uh, he, take, he took people from the synagogue, then over to the Hall of Tyrannus for two years. And, and he was very impactful in this ministry. So impactful, in fact. Uh, the Bible tells us in Acts 19 that it says, All the residents of Asia heard the word of the Lord. Can you wrap your brain around that? Some of you are going, not really, because I don't know how many people are in Asia, right? Not, how, how many people is that? Well, at least 2 million, if that helps. At least 2 million, theologians believe. And so, to say, for, for uh, Luke to say in Acts 19 that all of the residents of Asia, Asia heard the word of the Lord is unbelievable. I mean, it's an unbelievable, uh, impactful ministry of mission. So as Paul is teaching these three years, he's not just teaching and everybody, their head's going like this. No, he's like, this is who we're to be, now go do it. There's no way you can help everyone to hear the word of the Lord in Asia unless this teaching ministry was about mission and then going, now go, go, go do it. It, it couldn't have been done apart from people understanding their role as missionaries and going into the world to be on mission. It's the only way it could happen. And so we see this incredible ministry. He was very close to the people in Ephesus. Acts 20 tells us that Paul is, is on his way back from this Mediterranean tour collecting money. And he, he stops in a little place called Miletus. And he says, it says that he sent for the Ephesian elders to meet him. And so they come. And as they come, we get a little taste of the closeness. Because it says they embrace one another. They kiss one another. Fall on their knees. Because Paul tells them, you're not going to ever see me again. And so their hearts are broken. You just get a little taste of their relationships. Very close. Paul loves these people. Uh, it's been at least uh, eight or ten years since Paul has been in Ephesus. So you can imagine when they get a letter, it's like, oh my gosh, how's Paul doing? We want to hear how he's doing because we love him and he loves them. Right? They have a great interest in what's going on with him. And not only that. They were on mission with him, remember? To reach those people in Asia. And he's still on mission. And they're still on mission. And he's bringing 
a report. So there's three points I want us to make this morning about relationships in Paul's life. The first one is this. He had a very close connection to the body of Christ. Paul was very close to the body of Christ, to the church. He says in in the text, let's read it in the very first verse of our text, so that you also may know how I am doing and what I am doing. He's sending Tychicus. This is a twofold sort of situation. How I'm doing is a personal reality. Whether I'm sick, he wanted to let you know that I'm in prison, but I'm doing okay. We made it through this, we made it through that. You know, I think about um, I think about my parents at times when I've been out of the country or in college or away. We lived away from Little Rock for almost 20 years. And so just reporting back and going, hey, we're okay. Things are going well. You know, just it means something to a parent, doesn't it? I, now I'm starting to feel that as my girls go off somewhere and I'm, I can't wait to get them back under my roof kind of a thing. I get that. And that's, that's what a relationship does. When you love somebody, you want to let them know, hey, I'm doing all right. So there's a very close relationship to the church and how he's doing. But there's also an element of this report that is accountability. It's not only how I'm doing, it's what I'm doing. See, Paul had been sent on mission by the Ephesian churches. They were with him. right? He was there, he established a church, and they're doing mission together. And so as they continue their mission, he continues his mission. He feels a sense of accountability. I want you to know how I'm doing personally and how we're doing as a group, but also what we're doing in this mission. He gives a report on mission and about what God is doing. And God had been doing so much in Rome, so much. He's in Rome, God's doing amazing things, and uh, he's still on mission. From the mission he was on with them in Ephesus eight to ten years later, he's still on mission. You know, I think every one of these points, I hope, and, and through these texts this morning, that we can make this connection. Like what We see Paul as an example for us. But we got to take a look at ourselves and go, now how can I learn from what Paul is saying here at the end of this, at this letter, right? So here's the first application piece for you this morning. You need to be closely connected to the family of families. You need to be closely connected to the church, just as Paul was. Christ followers, we don't have an, another option but to be connected to the family of families. Yes, to know how we're doing, but also to know what we're doing, to remind each other we're on mission, to encourage each other. So many believers right now, and I'm, my heart is really burdened. This is, so, this is a burden I carry with me over the last two years that is a pretty great burden on my heart. <laughs> and that is so many believers in Jesus think that this is optional. So many believers think they can watch a camera and they think that's the same thing as being engaged in the church. It is not. You can watch a concert. It's not the same thing as being there. You can watch a message. It's not the same thing as being engaged with the body of Christ. The church is to walk life together. This this service right now is an overflow. This is not the end-all, be-all of church. This is the moment we go, whew, thank goodness this has been a good week and I'm praying about the next week. How have you been? You've been on mission? Awesome. Let's praise God for how good he's been to us. But during the week, we walk life with each other. During the week, we encourage one another. During the week, we hold each other accountable to the mission that God has given us. That's the church. And so many believers have made it optional. Friends, the reason that God tells us to not 
allow disconnectedness in our lives as a habit is because we need one another. We studied just a little while back in Ephesians 5, uh, verse 21, where it says, submit to one another. How can you submit to one another if you don't have life together? How can you do any of the one another's if you don't do life together? A service is not the church. The body is the church. Be a part of a family, not attenders of a service. Yes, that's part of it. But be a, be a part of the body because, friends, here's what I'm seeing, especially in the last two years. Once you connect from the family, once you, sorry, disconnect from the family, once you disconnect even from service, then you begin to disconnect from God. It's, it's, a, it's a downward spiral that is, that is uh, a guarantee. You disconnect from family, you disconnect from the things of family. You disconnect from, from the church, you disconnect from the things of God. And now they're not on your mind and who cares, right? I got to live my life, I got my family, I got enough stuff going on. Then do you even know Jesus? Because he's called us to be together and to be on mission for him. This is where the writer of Hebrews puts it. Hebrews 10, 24 and 25 says, Let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more. Not less, all the more as you see the day drawing near. Do you see that day drawing near? Man, it seems so clear to me. So our encouragement, our connectedness, our life there ought to be more, not less. A greater pandemic that's taking place in the life of the Big C Church is that it's become so easy. The church is the first thing that we skip and the last thing we're committed to. God, help us. This is the cry of my heart every week that we understand what God is calling us to as a family of families. Because as we disconnect, it's not that big of a deal a week or two or three or four, and all of a sudden, we haven't even spent time with the Lord. All of a sudden, we don't care about his mission or his people. Paul was willing to share how he was doing. This is personal relationships. Paul was uh, willing to share the report of what he was doing and on the mission that he was on. This is what we do. We're accountable to one another. The way we do that in, in, in our family is, is through city groups. Our city groups are a place where small groups of people, maybe up to 12 or 15 at the most, and we do life together every week. And we share life and we talk about, hey, here's how I'm doing. Here's what's going on in my life. I want you to, it's personal. But it's also, and here's what I'm doing. Be praying for me as I reach out to this person, as I connect at work, as I connect with family members. It's both. It's who we are and what we're doing for the cause of Christ. That is the church. Paul was close in his connection to the church, and so should we be. But he was also closer to a few. Look here. It says this in Ephesians 6, 20, uh, 21. So that you also may know how I am and what I'm doing, Tychicus, the beloved brother and faithful minister in the Lord, will tell you everything. It says, I sent him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are, that you notice he says we there, right? How we are, and that he may encourage your hearts. 
Paul had a close relationship to the church and a closer relationship to a few, Tychicus being one of them. It's important that you have some ride or dies in your life. You know what that means? People that you, that you live with, people that you share life with, people that are true to you, tried and true, people that help you move. Those are great people, aren't they? I mean, you know who your friends are when, when they, they show up and go, all right, let's get it done. Where's the couch? You go, that guy loves me. My back is bad, by the way. I do love you, but I got a bad back, so just, just FYI. Uh, you need people in your life who are close. We need people in our life who, man, you can be honest with. Here's my struggles. Here's my questions. Here's my doubts. And they go, me too, man. Let me share some things with you. People who we pray with, people who go through difficult seasons with us, that's exactly what Tychicus was for Paul. I want to kind of explain who he was. He says, first of all, he was my brother. Right? When you have somebody who's really close, not just my friend, this is my brother. Tried and true. But he's also a faithful minister in the Lord. He's learned. He's been developed and he cares for people. He serves people in the Lord. They had had so many stories together. They've been through so much. Tychicus is mentioned five times in the New Testament. Um, the first place we learn about Tychicus is in this verse. I love this verse. Uh, Acts 20, verse 4. You might remember in our study in Acts, Paul had gone through the Mediterranean region collecting donations, right, from Gentiles who have some money for the Ju uh, Judeans or the Jewish folks in Jerusalem who don't have money, and they're going through a famine. So he's taking collections to take this donation down to Judea. And when he tells the church, these are all churches he's established, which, by the way, is so cool because he's seeing the fruit of his ministry. Each of these places are churches he's established. Each of these people are people he's developed. And, and people that he's developed, these are fruit of the people he's developed. I and mean, this is like multiplication to the third and fourth generation that we're talk, about to look at here in, in Acts 20. It's beautiful. But it wasn't just, hey, give me some donations for the folks in Judea. It was also, if you want to send somebody with me for the accountability of the money that you're sending, but also to be in my residency program. Paul had this missions residency program where he said, if you have some young men that want to come with me, great. I'm going to teach him what it means to be a missionary. So look what he says. Luke says in Acts 20, verse 4, Sopater the Berean. Remember Berea? These people love the word. And they send one of their own, Sopater. He's the son of Phyrus, and he accompanied Paul. He says, of the Thessalonians, Aristarchus and Secundus, and Gaius of Derby, along with Timothy. We remember Timothy, right? And then the Asians, Tychicus and Trophimus. A little bit later, Paul says Trophimus is from Ephesus. And so the assumption here is that Tychicus is probably from Ephesus as well. We know he's from Asia. And most likely from Ephesus. So when Paul is saying, hey, I'm sending Tychicus to tell you how we're doing, he's sending one of their own back home. It's like if, we, if our church sent a missionary and that missionary came home, we would love to surround them and hug them and say, we're so glad to see you. Tell us what has gone on. How are you doing? What's going on in the mission in Rome? Tychicus had been through it with Paul. Like I said, Paul hadn't been to uh, Ephesus in 8 to 10 years, which means Tychicus, if he was from Ephesus, and we believe he was, had been with Paul from anywhere from 8 or 9 to 12 years. He's been with Paul for a long time. 
which means if Tychicus had been with him, he would have been there through that missionary effort all around Asia. He would have been a part of that. He would have been with Paul teaching in the hall of Tyrannus. He would have been when uh, the silversmiths try to kill Paul and his team in the arena. And it's this massive, scary thing that later Paul describes as the beast of Ephesus. Tychicus was right there. He would have been with Paul when he was arrested in Jerusalem, or even on the way to Jerusalem when the little boy falls out the window and dies, and Paul raises him from death. He would have seen that. He would have encouraged his faith. He was with Paul in, in Jerusalem when he was arrested. He would, he would have been with Paul when the uh, Roman army of 500 escorted Paul in the middle of the night to Caesarea to be on trial for the next two years. He would have been there serving Paul as Paul was in prison. He was a faithful and true friend. He would have been with Paul from Caesarea to get on the boat to go to Rome. And then he would have been on the boat that shipwrecked with Paul. He would have swam next to Paul in the middle of a shipwreck to Malta. He would have seen the snake bite and wondered if his mentor was going to die, but he didn't because God is a God of miracles. And his faith just continued to be encouraged because he walked life faithfully with his friend and brother and mentor, Paul. This is, this is a brother through thick and thin. He made it to Rome with Paul. And the work that God was doing in Rome, one of my favorite things, Paul says in one of his letters, he sends greetings from, from house arrest. And he says, from the house of Caesar, the brothers from the house of Caesar send their greetings. What that's saying is that God is doing such a work in Rome that even people, servants, guards, in the house of Caesar himself have come to know Jesus. And now they're brothers in the faith. <laughs> Do you see that? Isn't that beautiful? Paul's just taking the gospel of Jesus and people even under Caesar's nose in his own home are coming to Christ. And Paul says, hey, they send their greetings to you. I love it. Tychicus would have seen what God was doing through Rome. Even as Paul speaks in 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 11, and he talks about all the trials and difficulties. I've been through stonings. I've been through beatings. I've been through uh, the cat of nine tails. I, I've, I've been through shipwrecks. Many of those he's speaking also about Tychicus because he's with him through much of those difficulties. This was a dear friend. A lot of theologians think that Tychicus was probably also the guy who was pinning the letter. So he's, he's writing, and maybe, maybe all the way up to the point where Paul's just saying, now give me the pen. By the way, I'm sending Tychicus, right? Many people think that Tychicus is also the guy who is going to deliver these letters, these prison letters to this area of Ephesus. Paul started many churches, 11 or 12 churches around Ephesus. And he would have carried from this prison these letters how important of a job is this to be responsible for the letters of the, uh, to the Ephesians, Colossians, to his friend Philemon, even one that we don't have, we've lost antiquity, uh, to the Laodiceans. I mean, just an incredible responsibility. Tychicus was a friend that could be trusted. You need a friend that can be trusted. But it doesn't just need to be any friend on their own way doing whatever they want and believe in whatever they want. You need a friend that's on mission like you're on mission. You need a friend that has the same values that you have. 
that understands the same struggles that you have, that prays for you as you're both trying to be who God's called you to be and take this gospel to the world. That's the kind of friend you need. Paul says, Tychicus is going to tell you everything. And I love that because in order for Tychicus to tell everything, number one, he's got to know everything. He's close. And number two, Paul says, I got nothing to hide. He's going to tell you everything. He's probably going to tell you some moments that I wasn't great and I didn't do the right thing. You know, I I got kind of hot-headed in front of the council down there in Jerusalem. He's probably going to tell you about that. He's going to tell you about the mistakes I've made. He's going to tell you about the crazy moments. He's going to tell you everything. And people who are in our lives that are close to us, they ought to be able to tell everything about us because we've shared everything about us and we are in full accountability in life with them. Do you have that in your life? Friend, do you have that in your life? Somebody that you can share who you are, what's going on. They could say everything that would serve you, that would, would help you, would love you, regardless of the mistakes that you've made. The, at South City, we have a little thing that we call triads. And it's just groups of two to four people that gather together every week and they do this. They grab a coffee at Starbucks. This is not hard, by the way, okay? <laughs> you grab a coffee somewhere, you grab lunch somewhere. How you doing? Tell me about how life is going. After you spend some time just catching up, learning how things have been, hey, won't we? Let's go to the Word. We study a chapter or two of God's Word and we, we dig into it and how do we apply it to our lives and what is God saying about that Scripture, about how I should live. And we wrestle with that together and I pray that it changes us. But then we say, hey, who do we know that doesn't know Jesus? We need to be praying for those people by name. And by the way, I said I was going to speak to so-and-so last week, and we said, did, did you get a chance to do that? We're holding each other accountable. We need this, friends. We need close friends. Yes, be close to the church. Be closer to a few friends who know you inside and out. It's in these small gatherings that's such a great place that we can go deep. We can share life. We can be vulnerable. We can be honest. We can encourage one another. Look with me here in the last point, Ephesians 6, 23. It says, peace be to the brothers and love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace be with all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with love incorruptible. So Paul's got a close connection to the church. He's got a closer connection to a few who really know his life who really love him and are on mission with him, but his closest connection in all of life is to the Lord. In fact, Paul is so close to God, he speaks for him. Right? Grace and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, sometimes Lori goes places without me, I go places without her. I know her, I think, better than anyone in the world. She knows me, no question, better than anyone in the world. Good, bad, and ugly. And there are times where we go to places where I want to be with her, and she goes, he so wishes he could be here. He loves you guys. He, she speaks on my behalf because she knows me so well. And this is what Paul is doing. He's saying, I've been with the Lord. I know God so well. I love Jesus so much. I can speak for him, and he loves you. He wants peace. 
for the churches of Ephesus. He wants love with faith for you. In fact, that's something that Paul's already been preaching throughout this letter. Look at Ephesians 1.15. Because of what he's heard, he says, For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. See, Paul's talking about how difficult it is to be Jews and Gentiles to come together and do life together. And he says, man, all I'm hearing is that you guys are full of love. I've been thanking God for you in my prayers because you're loving people well. And so he kind of reiterates that here in the benediction. I pray for your love for one another. And I pray for your peace. Ephesians 2, 14 and 15, he says, For he himself, speaking of Jesus, is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace. There was literally a wall at the temple that separated Gentiles from Jews. Paul says Jesus has demolished the wall. He did it physically a little bit later in 70 AD, but he's done it in Jesus when Jesus died on the cross. And he said, there's no distinction here anymore. There's no Jew or Gentile or male or female or free or slave. We're all the same. In fact, we're now one new humanity. And that ought to bring us love and peace. And what's so interesting, friends, in the church, and we've talked about this as we studied Ephesians, God has given us peace with himself through Jesus alone and his work on the cross. But it's up to you and me to maintain that peace. That's what he said in Ephesians 4, verse 2, with all human, uh, humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one, or, one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. Praise God for the peace we have with him. We can't earn it. We can't earn, we can't earn it. Ephesians 2 tells us that. It's by faith. Grace has been given to us. It's a gift of God that we can't earn. We can't boast of our works. It's only his gift. It's only his goodness. But when it comes to relationships, that is up to us. Do we maintain peace? Do we do it with humility and love and gentleness and eagerness? Romans 12 says, do everything in your power to be at peace with all men. Is that who we are? I'll be honest with you. Being a pastor is not easy. I have so many relationships and, and, and I love you so much. And, and sometimes it's one of these deals where I go, where's the so-and-sos? I hadn't seen them in a, oh, they're not, okay, they're not with us anymore. Great, I'd never heard from them. Or I get a text. Hey, yeah, we've been there however many years, but we're going to do something else. Oh, okay. It's just like this shock to my heart. Oh, oh, okay. And I, this verse convicted me this week. It convicted me. And it made me say, Drew, how, how grace-giving are you being? How gentle are you being? How loving are you being? How hard are you working to maintain peace? It's on us, friends. And I've failed at times. And thank God for his grace. And I'm still learning. 
to offer more and more. Right? To offer more and more. But it's on us to keep this peace. Is there somebody that you have in your life that you don't have peace with? Then I would ask you the same question that the Holy Spirit has asked of me this week. Have you been humble? Have you been gentle? Have you been patient? Have you been loving them? Are you doing all that you can to make peace? Peace is a major theme of Paul's in Ephesians. And I think it's beautiful that he leaves now. This is, these last couple of sentences are this, this benediction of what Paul wants to summarize and, and finish off this amazing letter with to these people he loves very dearly. They're some of the deepest theologically because he spent more time teaching them. And this letter, so deep. And he finishes it with this peace and grace. In fact, that's the same way he started it. He started the book, right? Grace and peace to you. And it's the same way he finishes the book. Uh, last verse, verse 24, he says, Grace be with all who love our Lord Jesus Christ, with love incorruptible. Grace be to you, with all who love the Lord. See, if you know Jesus, if you are in Christ, you have experienced God's grace. There's no way to know Christ and not know grace. To be saved is an act of his grace. And if you know Christ, I believe you'll love him. Because you'll understand the gift that he's given us in his death. In the way that he's loved us. And I think it's kind of this grace upon grace sort of a reality that John talks about. In one, John 1.16 he says, from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. And so as we walk our life with Christ and in Christ, we just keep looking back at the grace God has supplied in our life. Grace upon grace upon grace. That's how good God is. I like the way John Stott says this. He says, no two words could summarize the message of the letter more succinctly. For peace in the sense of reconciliation with God and one, uh, with God and one another is the great achievement of Jesus Christ. And grace is the reason why and the means by which he did it. Moreover, both are indispensable to all members of God's new society. Grace to all, in other words, without discrimination, whatever their race, rank, age, or sex, it is a wish, which was kind of the, what people did in these letters. They, they offered a wish or a hope at the very end in, in, in the benediction. He says, it is a wish, a prayer, that the members of God's new society may live in harmony as brothers and sisters in his new family, at peace and in love with him and with each other, together with the recognition that only by his grace can this dream come true. Beautiful. Paul gives this last little shout out of the letter to those who know Jesus, who are in Christ. To all who love our Lord Jesus Christ. The word here, um, incorruptible or love incorruptible, is basically saying this is a love that never dies. <laughs> this lasts forever. Your love for Jesus and his love for you never dies. Ever. For all eternity you will have that love for Christ and his love for you. So Paul's final hope, his final wish that they would have peace with God and one another, right? That they would have love for all people, 
that their first love would be Jesus, that they would have faith, that remember the, the shield of faith, that would lead them forward, advancing the gospel of Jesus into a hostile culture that doesn't care. Does that sound familiar to you? As we advance the gospel of Jesus in our own lives forward with a shield of faith leading the way, but also with grace, and that as we live for Christ, it would be grace upon grace upon grace upon grace upon infinite grace. Where are you at today in your relationships? Are, do you have a close relationship with the church? I hope you do. hope it's one that, that you can share your life, how you're doing personally, where you're at in mission, because a service is not enough. I, I pray that you have a closer connection to a few people. I hope they're connected to our church, but maybe there are people outside of the church and they're connected to the Big C Church, whatever. But you're so close to them that they know you inside and out and they encourage you to know Jesus more. And they encourage you to be on mission with him. But I pray most of all that your closest relationship is with God. I think about Jesus even when he was on this earth, how often he would steal away. He would go away and spend time with the Father. He would go away to pray. He would go away to recalibrate his soul. Go away to, to, to think, well, God, where are you working? Where can I join you? Our closest relationship ought to be with God. Does your time reflect that? Does your life reflect that the closest relationship you have is with God Almighty? That you can speak for him. That you know what breaks his heart that you know what he wants of you, and you might even know what his hopes are for someone else. On behalf of God, he loves you, I want to tell you. From God, he wants you to know him. The only way to do that is to, to be closest to him. These are the relationships we see in Paul's life as he wraps up the letter, and I pray that these are the relationships that are closest in our lives this morning as well. Pray with me. Father, Thank you for your kindness. Thank you for this incredible example of what it means to be connected to the church, connected to the church even deeper with a few people that we can really be vulnerable with, that we can really share our lives and mistakes and questions with, feel that we're not going to be judged, we're just going to be loved, and we're going to be challenged and held accountable. And Lord, even deeper and even closer is our relationship with you and you alone because we are your children. And you want to speak to our hearts. And I pray that, God, even today that as we're finishing up this time, Lord, is there anybody here in this place that doesn't know you as their Savior? They're not your child. They've wrestled for a long time. They've, they've rebelled against you, God. They've run the other direction. And for whatever reason, they're here today but they don't know you as their Savior. God, would today be the day that they would surrender to the peace that they can have with you, God. No longer enemies if they know Jesus. The love that you have expressed for their lives and souls upon a cross. God, would you save them today? If there's even one person that doesn't know you, draw them to yourself, we pray, God, and save their souls so that they might have this incorruptible, forever love of Jesus. 
God, for those of us in Christ. For those of us that follow you. For those of us that long to make you the closest relationship in our lives. Thank you for this book. Thank you for your lessons, Lord, that you've given us on who you are and who we are in you. Who we need to be and how we need to live and walk and the strength that we have, not in ourselves, but in you alone. In your armor, in your presence, the prayers that we can pray, God, at all times, with every prayer, for all believers, everywhere. God, I pray that you would help us to pray like that, even as you lead us as a church into a new season of prayer. God, I pray that we experience you like we've never experienced you before. That's my prayer. To know you more, God. And that this closest relationship be experienced through prayer. God, if there's anybody here this morning that needs to renew their connectedness to you or to a few important people, even to the church, God, that this be a time where we love and we help and we encourage. And we're thankful, God, that all of us, even though we're all sinners who have fallen short, God's grace has covered us by Jesus and Jesus alone. And so we celebrate, we smile, we worship with tears because we have no hope apart from him. And we encourage one another in this love of Jesus, incorruptible, and life in Christ. I pray that you continue to change us, Lord, from who we are to who you want us to be by your grace. And it's our prayer in Jesus' precious name.